0: Good morning everybody let's go let's go again good morning everybody Good morning, good morning. Good morning. thank you guys for being here on this uh, rainy rainy morning I'm glad when people come to church on a rainy morning um, if you're here last week we'll know where well, we're in a new season we're entering the fall but we're also entering into to a new series um, as a church every week for the next season for Quite a while, number number months. We're going to be working through the Gospel of Luke. If you've got a Bible there or a phone, you can turn to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in chapter three today. Um, in Gospel of Luke, we learn about the life and the teachings of, of Jesus. And so, this is a really this is a really great time to to, to to take a step and join in and commit to being here with us, making this your home church. Maybe you've um, been a follower of Christ for a while, but have been struggling to get connected somewhere. Maybe you're kind of more stagnant in your faith and you want to lean in more. Maybe you're just at the very, very beginning of your spiritual journey and you're just wondering who, who is Jesus, and you're just here to, to explore that question, which is a great question. If any of those options or cases are, are your reality, it would be our joy and my hope and prayer that we'll be a church that will walk with you wherever you are on your journey. Um, last week, we had numerous people sign up to jump in and get into small groups. We had numerous people sign up to come and um, just get, get connected. And uh, Newcomers Lunch, which is going to be happening next month, and the way people did that last week was going to our link tree. Um, so I'm going to just give another shout-out to that. Um, if you text the word CONNECT RP, space, park, to the number 22333. That's two twos, three threes, CONNECT. R.P. Park, to that number, You to 22333, three, three. you'll get back a link that will take you to our link tree, and there's this plethora of ways for you can fill in forms and get connected, serve at Park, go to Newcomers Lunch, join a small group, so please do that if you haven't already. Okay, um, if you were with us last week, we looked at a passage in Luke chapter 2, where we find the very first recorded words of Jesus uh, that he spoke when he was just 12 years old. Mary and Joseph, Jesus' parents, they, they left um, a feast. They left the Passover in Jerusalem, only to discover after they traveled for an entire day that Jesus had stayed behind at the temple without telling them. Jesus ha- had chosen an un- uncompromising commitment to obeying his heavenly Father, and in, in, do, do, in, do so, in so doing that, Jesus was beginning to reveal his own divinity as God and therefore Jesus, he begins to assume this position of authority that transcended and stood above all other human authorities including the authority of his parents. And this story at the beginning of the Luke was uh, preparatory in the sense it was to repair us, it was to, to, to set our expectations for what's to come as we further discover and learn who Jesus is in Luke's gospel through the, the heartache last week of Mary and Joseph not understanding Jesus' behavior. We learn sometimes Jesus is going to confuse us. Sometimes Jesus is gonna act in ways that are beyond our comprehension. Sometimes God is, or Jesus is gonna do things in our lives that don't make sense to us. And yet last week, Mary set an example for us. Despite the misunderstandings and the confusion, Mary still had a depth of understanding, a depth of knowing in her commitment to Jesus that despite what she did not know, she could still say, Jesus as a mother knows her child, I know you. I know you're good. I know your intentions intentions for me are for my best. I know you can be trusted. And so all that you are, all that you say, all that you do will always be treasure to me. That's what Mary said last week. Church, Jesus is an authority over our lives. We are not an authority over him. We, we conform to him. He doesn't conform to us. He determines reality. We cannot bend it. And so as we prepare ourselves to encounter Jesus in Luke's gospel, we come with a posture of, of surrender. We come with a posture of, of openness to finding out who he is. And this week, Luke continues this theme of preparing us to encounter Jesus. When we are, pre- when we are preparing for Jesus to, to reveal himself, when, when we desire more of Jesus in our lives, what, what should we expect to precede his arrival? And this matters for us as a, as a church here in Chicago, here in Rogers Park, the north side of Chicago. Last week, I may have mentioned that the power of God is not just a subject simply to be taught and pondered and thought about but the power of God is a is, is reality in our lives to be experienced church can, can I say that that's why we have a, a prayer gathering on Sunday mornings at 9am over there in the library can I, can I tell you why we, we, why we pray and why I want you to, to join us why I'm asking you next week to join us to come a little bit early for something that will be so so worth it in your life our weekly prayer gathering is a gift that's available to you, to come with other brothers and sisters in Christ and bring our petitions and our prayers and our desires to Christ. Young people, students, newcomers, those the Holy Spirit is convicting and and, and speaking to, I'm asking you to join us at our 9 a.m. prayer meeting. Next Sunday and going forward, our, our prayers, one of the reasons is that our prayers, they participate in the bringing about of that which will occur through the power of God's presence in our lives. There, there, there's, a, there's a mystery to, to this, but hear this, God sovereignly plans that what will be will come into being as, as a result of the prayers of His people. Did you get that? God sovereignly plans that what will be will come into being as the result of the prayers of his people. Someone said it like this When we pray, things happen that would not happen if we did not pray. Prayer, not, not planning. Prayer, not, not programs. Prayer, not, not budgeting. Prayer, slow, faithful, committed, persevering prayer. Registraric prayer is participation with God and seeing His will enacted through ours. So church, what do you, what do you want to see? What, 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 what are you longing for? Where do you see a holy discontent in your life? What do you want to see in, in, in our city, in our neighborhood, on your, on your campus, Church, I want the power of God not to be something that we simply teach and something we simply talk about as a church, but something that we experience together. Church, I want the the 55,000 people that live in Rogers Park and then live in surrounding the thousands more that live in surrounding neighborhoods to be squeezing into this auditorium to lift up and celebrate the name of Jesus and wonder, who is this man? I don't believe that there, there is anything that we have seen by way of a movement of the Holy Spirit, whether it be in history or in scriptures, that we could not see as a reality here in Rogers Park. So would you, would you join us next Sunday, 9 a.m., to be in God's presence together. Next Sunday, church. Doesn't, church does not start at 10 a.m. It starts at 9 a.m. Okay? 9 a.m. Okay. Sorry about that. Our passage today is about what we should expect when God does answer our prayers. When, when, we, when we do pray, or we have been praying, and Jesus responds, and he responds with revelation of himself. If you encounter Christ today to a to degree of intimacy that you have never done so before, if Jesus walks into your life today, what would it be like? What will it be like? Today's passage is preparation for just that, preparation for an encounter with Jesus, and today's passage is preparation for confrontation. So let's read our passage. Luke chapter three, it goes like this. You pray for me with some of these hard words. (laughs) In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Aturia and Trincontitus and Lysenius, tetrarch of Abilene during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God, (laughs) came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, and he went out into the region around Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God." He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do the likewise. The tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, "'Teacher, what shall we do?' And he said to them, "Collect no more than you are authorized to do.' Soldiers also came to him and said, "'What shall we do?' And he said to them, "'Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages.'" So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Rhodius, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you just for the, the way your word speaks and allows us to be drawn into what you're saying to us, God. God, I pray, God, that we would be able to be attuned to your spirit this morning. God, I pray against distractions coming into our minds. I pray that we'll be able to focus on your word. I pray that anything that is said today that is not of you would be forgotten and would be dismissed. God, we as a church are dependent on you. This is your church, God, so we invite you to speak into our hearts and our lives today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Our passage today, it begins by grounding us in a particular time, a particular place uh, in history. It's a reminder that the beginning of our passage is a reminder that this story happened and it occurred within history. Chapter 3, verse 1 begins like this. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, he was the reigning Roman emperor between the years A.D. 14 and A.D. 37. But as we keep Reading through those opening verses here, Luke, the author, he seems to kind of overemphasize these, all of these people that ground our passage in history to such a degree that actually we realize he's doing something more here. All these difficult names, he was doing something more than just grinding it in history. In chapter 3, verse 1 to 4, Luke isn't just making the historical moment really clear, but he's bringing to the forefront the dominant strongholds and personalities of par that held sway within the culture and the society that undergirds our passage. We, we have, if you look there, we have Caesar, the emperor of Rome. We have Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea. We have Herod, the Tetrarch, or the king of Galilee. Luke makes mention of these, these political and economic positions of power and influence, but he also mentions those in spiritual or, or religious positions of power by referring in verse 2 to Annas and Caiaphas, the high priests. And those in the early church, those within that Holy spirit imparted movement of the Gospel, gathering in one another's homes, where there existed this radical inclusion of all kinds of people, those in the early church would have been attuned to the fact that the very movement that they were a part of did not begin in alignment with those in these prominent positions of power. But rather, the Holy Spirit was at work through weakness and obscurity the church gathered its momentum from the margins of society. And so when Luke first opens chapter 3 emphasizing the political, the economic, the religious positions and personalities of established par, and then at the end of verse 2 writes, in contrast, see this at the end of verse 2, the word of God came to John of Zechariah in the wilderness. We, we immediately Recognize, as did the original readers, that a confrontation is occurring here. The, 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 the wilderness was where rebels went to live. The, the wilderness was where alternative lifestyles had freedom of expression. This, this year, you've probably seen it, the Burning Man Festival made a lot of headway or headlines, not headway, because they all got stuck in the mud. <laughs> but there, 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 there is method. In their, their madness, there, there, there is a reason that a festival, at least in its origin, that was gathering to establish to reestablish, or reestablish a reordering of society or to celebrate originality, there's a reason that that kind of gathering would be held 70 miles out in the desert, in the wilderness. The, the wilderness is where there is freedom to develop a new way, a new order, not under the guise of established par. And the reason is that societal norms can be suffocating, can't they? (laughs) It would be difficult or it would be controversial for me to try and list, like we see in chapter three, a list of, of people, certain kings and queens and religious leaders that we might say have a negative grip on the minds and the lives of people under their influence. The reason that we need to be careful in trying to identify these personalities of PAR is it's easy to quickly start pointing and wagging the finger at at Wall Street or, or Hollywood or a political party in a way that shifts the focus primarily onto them and their lives and their choices when that's not Luke's intent in this passage. Rather more helpfully, I think we can all just agree and accept that there are influences and pressures on us that make living differently difficult. It can be difficult not to succumb to the pressures of how we are told to think about money and material wealth. It can be difficult not to follow the norm and center our lives around how we think our money should be spent or saved or stored away. It can be difficult not to succumb to the pressures that prioritize career and success over our family or our church or our commitment to place It can be difficult to not succumb to the pressure that says that to parent well, then our kids, their education and their comfort and their success needs to take center stage in all of our decisions. It can be difficult to not succumb to the pressure that says what we have or what we do is the barometer that determines our worth and our identity and our purpose. Breaking the, the mold is really hard. Especially when you get a few years on and the responsibilities of life just seems to grow and grow and grow. Getting out from under the gaze of pressure is hard to constantly feel questioned by ourselves or others. It's much easier to follow the crowd, to feel safe in the crowd. Mike Posner, a very successful singer, songwriter, he, he probably could be in a sense named within people that have a particular Power or influence in society. He, he initially became very successful when he wrote and released his first song, and he talks about this in a podcast, about, about how he, he shot to fame and wealth, and he began traveling all around the world and living in, in luxury and in fame, and all. he was able to just get tapped into this incredible network of celebrities, the best in the music industry. But as time went on, he, he felt that he was just becoming a one-hit wonder. He didn't know how to sustain his success, even though he was still in it and during this time he, he went to Abitha with Avicii and when he was there he, he took a pill and he partied, he partied the night away and he woke up the next morning and he, he felt awful. And so there, there and then when he woke up that morning he decided I want to write another song to try and tell a different story, a better story. And what he sought to write was to be a warning. Just, just to, sound, to sound an alarm. Don't, don't, don't live my life. Don't, don't, don't follow me. Don't let me be your example. You, you, you don't want this. Live a better life. So he wrote the song, I Took a Pill in Ibiza. This is how the lyrics read. Minus a few expletives. I took a pill in Ibiza to show Avicii I was cool. And when I finally got sober, I felt ten years older. I'm living out in LA. I drive a sports car just to prove I'm a real big baller because I made a million dollars and I spend it on girls and shoes. Now, you don't want to be high like me, never really knowing why like me. You don't ever want to step off of that roller coaster and be all alone like me. You don't want to ride the bus like this, never knowing who to trust like this. You don't want to be stuck up on this stage singing, stuck up on this stage singing. All I know are sad songs, sad songs, darling. All I know are sad, sad. Songs. I took a plane to my hometown. I brought my pride and my guitar. All my friends are all gone, but there's manicured lawns and the people still think I'm a star. I walked around downtown. They said, Tell us how to make it because we're getting real impatient. So I looked them in the eye and I said, You don't want to be high like me, never really knowing why like me. You don't ever want to step off that roller coaster and be alone like me. You don't want to ride the bus like this, never knowing who to trust like this. You don't want to be stuck up on this stage singing, stuck up on this stage singing. All I know are sad songs, sad songs. Darling, all I know are sad songs, sad songs, sad, sad songs. And here's the the irony, and he tells this himself, and he points out the irony himself, that the following year he went back to Ibiza. Did anybody listen? Did anybody hear his new song? What he wrote as an acoustic, slow, intimate warning of the life that he was telling people not to seek after. Don't live my life. You don't want this life. Find a better life. Despite his attempt, his warning when he went back to Ibiza the following year had been turned into a dance anthem. That was being played all across the clubs of Ibiza. His, his attempt to stop this cycle had succumbed to the pressure to conform to the cycle. As, as people continued in his footsteps, taking pills and Ibiza. Mike Poster's song, I Took a Pill on Ibiza, is a field attempt at sounding an alarm, a field attempt at a prophetic warning to stop, rethink this, rethink your life. Which is what we see John the Baptist attempting in our passage today. In verse 3, it says, From the position of the wilderness, from a position of freedom from the status quo, It says, John went on into all the regions around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance is that big, sometimes Bible scary word that means to turn. It means to turn your life, turn your life into a new direction, into into a better direction. It's denying the suffocating pressure to conform and choosing to live differently. And John was symbolizing this decision of people to turn their lives around by baptizing them, by putting them under the water and pulling them out again as a declaration of their new life, which is something the Jewish people would have culturally understood what was happening, a decision to make a new life going in and out of the water. And why? For, for the sake of, sake of what? What was spurring them on to make this change? It wasn't just a desire to live better but knowing that their relationship with God needed to be restored. John wasn't playing games. You can read it in the, in the passage. When he proclaimed a baptism for the forgiveness of sins, he was cutting through the cultural malaya of spiritual apathy and saying the most important thing in your life That you need to take notice of regardless of the pressures that you face the most important thing is not your your loneliness the most important thing is not your lack of fulfillment the most important thing is not your broken heart but what you really need to pay attention to is the fact that your life has become an offense to god that's what john wanted to proclaim that's what he was proclaiming What we're going to see as we continue through luke's gospel is that it is jesus himself who speaks with the most incredible clarity as he warns of the righteous and just wrath of God. It is Jesus who makes it clear that in this life, if we continue in our sin without turning to God, we will find ourselves standing one day on judgment day before God guilty. Today's passage is saying if we are unrepentant in our sin, we need to stop, we need to turn around, and we need to turn to Jesus for forgiveness of sins. We all need to turn to Jesus. And it is our repentance as we see in our passage that prepares a path for Jesus to make His entrance into our lives. In verse 4 Luke quotes from the Old Testament to give a greater depth of meaning to what John is proclaiming where we see that when John calls for repentance, repentance is synonymous with preparing the way of the Lord. The imagery in this Old Testament quote from Isaiah that you can see there in verse 4 is that of of winding roads beginning to straighten. Of of valleys that that are beginning to come up and, and, and make a way level and passable. Mountains flattening to make a passage through. John's call for a turning back to God is the equivalent of making a way, a route for Jesus to enter. Church, repentance is an entrance. Rogers Park, it is an It is opening a door for Jesus to come in and look who who John is primarily speaking to. Verse 7, he said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. (laughs) Now what's strange here is this is what John calls those coming to get baptized. This is not usually how we would speak to people if you come to our baptism class, just so you know. Why, why would John call those coming to get baptized a brood of vipers? Which, by the way, is even worse because the people that would have heard it, they would have understood that what he was actually calling them was children of Satan. Why, why, why call them that? John's call to repentance in our passage today isn't primarily for those that, have act, that are actively seeing themselves as living in rebellion from God, His call to repentance is directed towards those that think that their religiosity is what is saving them. And so calling them children of Satan is to wake them up from the lie that they've been telling themselves. Or to be more precise, in the context, John is telling his Jewish audience, don't think by simply being a descendant of Abraham that you can escape the wrath of God. That's why he says in verse eight, don't begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. John recognizes in his audience their propensity to base their right standing before God on their alignment with religious tradition. And so he is even weary of them coming to be baptized, even though baptism is a declaration of repentance, because even though he wants them to be baptized, to go into the water and come out again as a symbol of new life, In renewed relationship with God he calls for this but he also knows this may well be just one more means of self-deception where they think their right standing before God is due to something that it's not. And so what is his solution? What does he want to see in their lives beyond baptism? He states it really clearly in verse 8. Bear fruit That is in keeping with repentance bear fruit that is in keeping with repentance yes repent yes yes express declare your repentance in faith and baptism but if your repentance is real it will be known as real by the fruit that comes from it in verse 9 john equates us to being like like trees What matters isn't where we have grown up as a tree. What matters isn't what kind of tree that we are. What matters isn't that we are a tree that people stop to admire and think looks really pretty. What matters is that we are trees that bear good fruit. So in verse 10, they they, they ask him, well, what, what, what shall we do? What does all this talk of fruit actually mean for our lives? John responds in verse 10 by giving three examples. And every example... Every example John gives is related to the handling of wealth and possessions. This is one of the themes that we're going to see throughout Luke's Gospel. Jesus knows the grip that money can have on our lives. John directly equates the fruit of true repentance, a true turning towards God with what we do with our resources. The the way we spend our wages is a direct expression of our walk and our intimacy with Jesus. Money can so easily become our functional God where we turn for hope and joy and security and rest or where we long to find hope and security and joy and rest. If, If we want to know what it is we worship who it is we think is of infinite value and worthy of our devotion and our lives, looking at our bank statements, John the Baptist knows is a great place to start the conversation. In verse 11, John says to the religious crowd, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Then in verse 12, to the tax collectors who were known for their corruption, he says, collect no more than you're authorized to do. Then in verse 14, to so the soldiers, known for using their position of authority to take advantage of people, he says, do not exhort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations of content with your wages. And the three examples, what ties them together is not only they each refer to the handling of wealth and possessions, but each example as an act of repentance is also an act of confrontation with the status quo. If we think back to to the beginning, Luke opens this passage highlighting those in political and economic and religious positions of power and influence, and that the word of God came not through them or in alignment with them but through the wilderness. The word, the word of God came in alignment with the way of the wilderness. The wilderness being where rebels went to live. The wilderness being where alternative lifestyles had freedom of expression. Just John is saying, as an act of repentance, rebel. Religious crowds following leaders who are more interested in dead tradition and legalistic ritual than the heart of God for the poor and the suffering, rebel. Tax collectors following an economic system that preys on the weak and the vulnerable rebel. Soldiers caught up in a regiment that has normalized intimidation to line their own pockets, John's saying, rebel. And and, and for us, we maybe don't identify with the direct narrative that those groups, those group stories that John addresses, but we do know what it feels like to find societal norms suffocating, to find living differently difficult. To to feel the pressure to conform getting the house, the plan, the backyard, the career, the car, the esteem, the good name, the savings, the success. To find in what we have or in what we do our sense of worth. We, We know what it's like to let our education or our kids or our comfort or our luxuries to take center stage in our decisions in life to the point that rebellion from the status quo we realize should not only be or will not only be an act of rebellion but an act of repentance. A turning away from the societal norms that pressure us and turning towards the one we have offended in our conforming to receive forgiveness of sins. A turning away from the societal norms that pressure us and turning towards the one we have offended in conforming to those norms to receive forgiveness of our sins. John spoke with so much clarity and authority that in verse 14 the crowds wondered if Jesus himself was the Messiah. They wondered if John was, was Jesus. But, but he responds pointing out one key reason why he is not by referencing his inability to really create any true and lasting change in their lives. He says, look, I baptize with, with water, but there is one coming who is far mightier than me. I'm not, I'm not mighty enough to be the Messiah. I'm not I'm not not mighty enough to change people's hearts the transformation in your lives Jesus is going to bring and it's going to be much greater than anything I can bring and then he says he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire he was saying there is a newness to life that is coming that will be much, much more impactful than being baptized by, by water. Jesus is going to come, the one mightier than me, and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, Christ in us, Christ in you, will empower us, will empower you to live lives of obedience to him. And so John, he leaves the crowd waiting. But he has one last message to proclaim not through his life, but through his death. in in verse 19 we get this little snippet of what happened in john in the days to come john calls john's call to repentance it, it offended herod so much that it resulted in john being imprisoned and ultimately goes on to be beheaded and so what's the what's the message here in john's death number one that our repentance as an act of rebellion from the status quo will bring about confrontation following jesus will be misunderstood it will cause offense number two The message in John's death is a foreshadow of how Jesus would also face confrontation and death. But as the first readers of Luke's Gospel would have known, John the Baptist's death because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus was not the end for him. Church proclaiming and receiving forgiveness of sins is always a matter of having an eternal perspective. The, the, the question of how we will live now today is really a matter of what John knew that our faith, our standing before God and our eternal future is proven by our works. How we live is the fruit of our saving faith. And so the question for us as we come to the Lord's table today is will we listen to the word of God warning us from the wilderness today? that true repentance becomes evident in our rebellion. Or like Mike Posner's attempt to stop the cycle, "Don't, don't, don't live my life, don't follow me, I only know sad, sad songs. Like his attempt to stop the cycle, will our response to the word of God succumb to the pressures around us to conform? Will anything change this year? Will we be in the same place next year. Church repentance is is, is the widening roads straightening. It's valleys coming up and being level and passable. Repentance is mountains flattening to make a passage through. Repentance is making a way, making an entrance. Rogers Park, it is opening a door for Jesus to come in. Let's take this, this time now as we come to the Lord's table as a church to do just that. Let's together corporately open the door for Jesus. Let's take our our holy discontent to say we want more of Christ in our lives, more of His will, more of His ways, more of His power in our community, in our church. As a step today, let's allow these moments of communion to be be a time of of repentance, making a a commitment to, to turn areas of our lives back to Him. And if there is anyone who has never turned to Christ before, would you do that today? Would today's act of repentance be your first act of repentance? In Christ is freely offered forgiveness of sins and eternal life and the power to live a life that's better. Let's pray. God, we know every one of us we turn from you, we run from you, we run from your ways, we run from your will, and yet we're deceived, thinking that it's going to be better, and it's not. God, your word is beautiful. Your word is true. It offers us a life of worth and beauty and value. I pray today, God, that we'll turn towards it, that we'll lean in, recognize what we've done wrong, and turn to Jesus, knowing there's love and there is forgiveness, And it's in our repentance that we invite Jesus into our lives to walk more closely with him, more attuned to him. God, would you speak to us now, every one of us in this room? God, may we be a people of repentance, a people of turning towards you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.